So today we will take a brief departure from our discussion of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, this morning we concluded our discussion of the uh, 14th chapter of the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Discussion of the, the uh, Brahma Vimohana Lila, the Lila in which Brahma is Vimohan becomes very much, Mohana means like illusion, bewildered. V means, in this context, very much, very much bewildered by the power of Krishna. And uh, that Brahma Vimohan Lila consists of three chapters, 11, 12, 13, and 14 of the 10th canto. And they're very important chapters in that in the last of them, the 14th chapter, which we just concluded, the um, Brahma brings out, reflects back, I should say, on the significance of what just took place, that uh, he had come there uh, to Vrindavan to test the powers of Krishna with his own powers, and Krishna showed greater, greater powers, and and so on. Um, and uh, the way in which that t- took place was that Brahma tried to steal the coward boys and calves of Krishna, and Krishna manifests himself as the coward boys and calves, and for one year conducted his normal daily routine, which was a small amount of time, a moment of Brahma's time, um, and when Brahma tried to figure out what was happening, Krishna showed to Brahma that all these coward boys and calves are all manifestations of myself. And uh, so he showed innumerable Vishnu Murtis, forms of Vishnu Narayan. And he showed uh, universes coming from them, Brahmas in each universe. and so forth and so on. So Brahma's reflecting back on that in the 14th chapter and through his prayers and through the narrative itself in the 12th and 13th chapters, a very significant, most significant point of tattva, of siddhanta, um, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, spiritual conclusions, is uh, found. And that is... Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, as it's mentioned in the third canto of the first chapter of the Bhagavatam, when the Krishna avatar is first uh, mentioned, that amongst all the avatars, the list of them, we know from the first chapter of the Bhagavatam that we were discussing just uh, recently, that one of the questions the sages asked of Sutta Goswami was, tell us about the different avatars of Krishna and so forth. So in the third chapter, he discusses the avatars and in the context of that Krishna is mentioned, but in a special way. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Amongst all these, Ete Chaamsa Kala, of all these incarnations that are mentioned, they are Anksas and Kalas, it means partial manifestations of um, the Godhead. Krishna's two. Two means but. But Krishna, Bhagavan Swayam. He's the Swayam Bhagavan, means the, the, the origin, the, the origin, the fountainhead 
of all the avatars. So it's a very central point to go to Vaishnavism. Jiva Goswami has said that the whole of the tattva of Gaudi Vaishnavism revolves around this point. He called it the Paribas Sutra. That's the saying that's the key to unlocking the um, the secrets of uh, the understanding of uh, complete understanding of Srimad Bhagavatam, its implications and so forth. After all, knowing Krishna to be the Swayam Bhagavan And in that context, being so primarily because he exhibits greater capacity for love and reciprocation. This is how the Goswamis have analyzed. Uh, he must be the source. He must, because in Narayan, for example, we find some capacity to reciprocate with devotees in Shantarasa, in Dasyarasa, in a reverential form of Sakirasa, two and a half rasas in Baikuntha. And to go the distance, which is measured in rasa, in feeling, not in miles or kilometers, from Vaikuntha to Goloka and Vrindavan, there we find all five of the primary rasas and seven secondary rasas. And so Krishna's a the form of the Lord in which there's greater capacity for loving reciprocation. So he must be more more full is the idea. The two and a half rasas we find in, in Narayan are are found in Krishna and more. So he is the more. Hmm? Um, and so knowing this point then enables us to focus our attention on Krishna and have the capacity to experience those rasas which we would not otherwise. So it's a very important, significant point. As I've said before, if we want to have unalloyed love that the Gaudiya Vaishnavas talk about, we have to have two things. Our love must be unmotivated and it must be properly centered. Properly centered means we must repose it in an object that's capable of accepting it all. Hmm? So this is the idea of Swayam Bhagavan. He says, Jajatam pravadyante inigitatam sataiva prajami hum. As you reciprocate, as you approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. If you approach Narayan for loving him as an intimate friend, he can't reciprocate in that way. He has to send you to Goloka. Hmm? As he did Gopukumar and Brihat Bhagavatamrita. Brihat Bhagavatamrita, Gopukumar arrived in Vaikuntha and he saw Narayan and he said, Hey, Gopal. And they said, You can't say that here. You can't talk to him like that. Oh, Narayana. Hmm. But Narayana couldn't say, oh, he's one of those. He's headed for, he meant, meant to go to Golok. So he arranged for Narada to go and coach Gopakumar and say, don't say that in public like that. This is not, this will disturb the bhava here in, in Baikuntha. Hmm. They think Narayana is every all and end all and he should be worshipped with reverence uh, and so forth. They can't accommodate another idea. So it's, a, it's an angle of vision they have that's bona fide, if you will. It's a, it's a reality, but it's not um, the reality that Gaudiya Vaishnavism seeks to um, introduce us to, afford us the opportunity to participate in the love and intimacy. Hmm? So, in order to pursue that, 
this point has to be in place. Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. So it's stated in the Bhagavatam, but in one small line of one verse. And Jiva Goswami and his Krishna Sandarbha has built a whole argument around that one line and shown how everything in the Bhagavatam might seem to say otherwise has to be interpreted in terms of this. And he shows how to do that. It's very clever, um, insightful, full of feeling on his part. But in terms of the narrative in the Bhagavatam of the Leela, we find the same point in this Brahma Mohan Leela. Because Krishna shows that while Narayan has innumerable universes emanating from him, from me, Krishna, innumerable Narayans are emanating, which he showed Brahma. So, and, and Brahma, of course, is the one, as it said, born from the lotus of the navel of Narayan, that is this umbilical cord. And uh, 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 so he's... He's realizing this point. I'm born from the lotus of Narayan, and you are the source of Narayan. Brahmas seeks his source out in the Bhagavatam. He hears the sound tapa. You should perform tapa. Tapa means fire. It means austerity. It means knowledge. Hmm? Also, austerity brings um, knowledge. In other words, when we close down our senses, we're forced to reflect and go and, and focus on our internal organ, if you will. So uh, he, he performed tapa in, as, a, as a way of following the directive that he heard in terms of his sincere search for his source. And he found his sources, Narayan, and so forth. And um, Krishna also then came before him and gave him mantra and so forth. But... The fact, the full implication of that, that Krishna, the source of Narayana, was not clear to him. Hmm? In Brahma Mohan Lila, he comes to test the powers of Krishna. Hmm? And then he finds out, Krishna is too Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm. Krishna is the source of Narayana. Hmm? So, this is a very important um, Lila. While it's there in the text of the Bhagavatam, a philosophical point is being made. It's also played out in the narrative of the Leela. So a very important section. And relative to tonight's discussion, tonight we are discussing the passing of Haridas Thakur from the world, the great devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the connection between these two is, is considerable. The Brahma Vimohan Leela and Thakur Haridas. Brahma is called Vidhi. Vidhi means rules. From him come all the Vedic uh, all, the Vedic, all the Vedic wisdom is expanded in the world. There was in, in his heart, the Vedic truths were empowered. To, he was empowered to understand them and to distribute them, hmm? along with his work of, of uh, dealing with creative forces and so forth. He makes manifest the Veda in the world, which is particularly for the humans. Every species, as I've many times said, has a built-in um, system built into na- the nature to meet their basic needs, but only the humans have the need to know why. And for that we need, that, that is the soul speaking then. The soul asks the question, why? Not how. Hmm? But why is its question? It's an existential question. Hmm? So 
So the soul asks that. So the answer to that question it cannot be something that's built into nature, like the how question, how to eat, how to sleep, how to make, how to defend. These are all material questions relative to the body. Human being asked the question, why? It's an existential question. It's feeling that it, we feel that we exist in a way that less complex species of life don't feel that. We exist, and why? What, is the, what are the ramifications of that? And so, so the answer to that has to be a spiritual answer because it's a question coming from the soul, from consciousness. Not from consciousness merely identified with matter, asking questions about the matter that it's identified with and how to meet its needs and so forth. It's a higher need. So the Brahma manifests the Veda to answer that question. That's where uncommon knowledge is to be found that can't be found elsewhere. That's the idea of revelation. So, important person... He's, he knows all the Vedic rules and regulations up in the Brahma Loka. They have the big rituals of offering big sacrifices to the Hiranyagarb uh, form of Narayan and so forth. Um, he's bearded, as he's depicted, which indicates he's old and wise. He has four heads, so he's thought about things, you know, in all directions, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, from all sides. Is the implication. Um, he said, he said in the Bhagavad he studied the Vedas three times, hmm? entire in their entirety, and so forth. He knows everything, his idea, hmm? Brahma. And when in the Brahma Mohan Lila, he comes to visit Krishna, when Krishna appeared before him at the dawn of creation, he was in a Gyan Mudra. Hmm? He offered Brahma benediction, he gave him the four verses of Bhagavatam, and so forth. Hmm? But what are the implications of all those verses and so forth? We see it's considerable here in the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is played out in 18,000 verses by Sukadev and Sutta Goswami. So when Krishna manifests his Leela on earth and so forth, and Brahma goes to check him out. He's not there in a, in a in Gyan Mudra. He's, no, no. Uh, offering benediction of knowledge as the Godhead and so forth. No, instead of having his, giving his right hand up and giving a blessing, he's got a clump of yogurt and rice and fruit in his left hand. And you know, he's supposed to, they say you're supposed to eat with your right hand in the Veda. You know, left hand is for cleaning, right hand is for eating. You know, so here he is in his left hand, and you know, he's putting food in his mouth, and he's putting food in his friend's mouth, and he's taking food from his mouth, and putting like kids will do, young kids. These are all kumaras, young boys. They're just coming, you know, just just on the cusp of turning into into uh, into uh, young boys from what would you call them? Hmm? Toddlers. Toddlers, yeah, kumar, yeah, just from. The cusp of turning from the Komar to Pogonda age. And so Krishna's with the calves. When he becomes Pogonda age, he gets to take the cows out. So he's kind of like a practicing cow herder at this time. And so there he is out picnicking with his friends and so forth. And, and, and Brahma comes in on the scene and he thinks, Who's this? Is it? He saw Krishna with the Gyan Mudra, got the blessing. And so this is like, Yeah, but. Is this the same guy? He looks rather uncivilized here. He's just like a, 
a village person, a, a person from the, you know out out in the in the country with no education, no culture, it's not refined uh, per, uh, person, and uh, the God making a big commotion about about him. So he's a little confused by the madhurya of Krishna, hmm? the sweetness of Krishna, the human-like appearance of Krishna. And so in his mind, he makes offense. He thinks, who's this? Hmm? He's not following the vidhi. Hmm? And Krishna, of course, upholds the dharma, establishes, like in, like in Bhagavad Gita, establishes what is the Upanishadic truth and so forth. Hmm? Giving the jnana, and, uh, and here he is in jnana shunya bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti that's not encumbered by jnana. And these cowards, they don't know that he's God, and he doesn't know it either. He's forgotten by the force of their own love. And, um, and this is what Brahma comes upon, and he doesn't understand it. Hmm? And he understands everything. <laughs> so this is something very extraordinary, very special. This is a secret life of Bhagavan, Bhagavan Swayam. And this, the doors to this, is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is opening. And so this Brahma made offense, this idea, in his mind. He thought, what is this? He looks like a low-class person. And of course, and then he tried to Exercise his, his limited power on the uh, and have an influence on the Leela, and it all just kind of blew up in his face entirely. And then Krishna revealed uh, his position and so forth, and Brahma prayed and whatnot. So, meanwhile, Brahma has a long life, as, as we know, and um, with the passing of Krishna from the world comes the Kali Yuga and comes the Kali Yuga avatars, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, Brahma was considerably more enlightened by this point, and he knew that, oh, Gaur Sundar, Gaur as Krishna will appear in Nadia. So in a, in a particular form, he went and resided in the Antardweep, where it is, which is Mayapur, the center of the nine islands, like a lotus of Navadweep. Nava means nine, Dweep means islands. This is the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. It is a lotus within the lotus of Goloka. It's Gupta Vrindavan, Vrindavan in hidden form, because it's Bhagawan in hidden form. Bhagawan is the Vishaya Lambana, the object of love. He appears like the Ashraya Lambana, like the shelter of that love as a devotee. One thing is the object of love for us, the other is the person who has the love and offers it to the object of love. Krishna is the object of love, but in Navadvipa, he takes the position of the Ashraya, the shelter of love appears as a devotee, embodying Radha's love and pursuing that and so forth. So this is Gupta Vrindavan, it's a hidden Vrindavan. Hmm? And so inside the lotus, if you will, of Vrindavan, there is a lotus of Navadvip. Inside that is a lotus of Krishna Leela, and they're back and forth. The giver and the gift, the giver and the gift, and so on. So at any rate, Brahma took shelter there, and he prayed that, when Gaurasundar comes, I don't want to make any offense to him. When Krishna comes in his encore appearance in Kali Yuga, I don't want to make any appearance to him. He's going to be disguised as a devotee. So, and Krishna and Gaur, before his actual appearance, made appearance to Brahma and said, I bless you. That when I appear in Kali Yuga, you will take birth. Yeah. 
uh, in, a, in, a, in a Muslim family. Hmm? And uh, I'll use you for the propagation of my Nam Dharma. So, with the ending of our discussion of the Brahma Mohan Leela, it just happens to the passing of Haradastakar, we are commemorating it at this time on our calendar. So, it's a significant event in Chaitanya Leela, but before we hear anything much about his disappearance, we should hear something about his appearance. As I said, he, he's called Brahma Haridas, so it's a kind of a of Abhutara descent of Brahma in the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. In Krishna Lila, he gave beautiful prayers discussing the uh, truth about the form of Krishna. Hmm? There's so much discussion there in those prayers that we've discussed in the morning about the form of Krishna, the description of it, the significance of it, and so on and so forth. And of course, now in Gorli, he's going to be speak about the Nam. The Rupa is the form, and now the Nam. And Nam Namni, they're one and the same. The name and the named, one and the same, except the one difference. Vinatvam Nam Namino, the name is more generous. Even if you offend the form, the name comes to us. Brahma offended the form of Krishna, but name came to him. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. when he began his Sankirtan, Haridas appeared about 35 years before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? There are many devotees that appear before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Naturally, they, if Krishna is going to come, personally, his associates have to come. Hmm? So they came in and around Navadweep, some outside of Navadweep, some in pious Vaishnava families, some outside of Vaishnava families, all to make different points. Hmm? All for the sake of distribution of the uh, of the uh, um, that which the divine dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was all about. Haridas Thakur. Some say he was born in a Brahmin family, actually, but his parents died very early, and then he was orphaned and brought up by Muslims. Some others think he was. It's sketchy what the actual history is that he was actually born in a Muslim family. But either way, at the time. If you were raised by Muslims, then you were considered an outcast from the Hindu perspective. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, much of his mission was was about making little of caste distinctions, transcending them, hmm? with his emphasis on Vaishnavism and, uh, and, and Nam Dharma and so forth. So he uh, arranged for Brahma, due to his offense, of seeing Krishna, thinking Krishna was faulty for eating with his left hand. You know, Hindus got so many things about eating, how to eat, what to eat, when to eat, where to eat, how to face, when to eat, you know, and how to deal with eating, <laughs> and all that comes from that. <laughs> they have all these uh, rituals for that, so he was very fixed up in all those things, and there he saw Krishna, as they said, eating with his left hand. So, anyway, he had to take birth in the family and eat with his left hand himself, and... and um, and see the folly of this um, caste distinction in terms of the ultimate reality. Caste distinction so may have its place. There are different kinds of people. They have different mentalities. They should be engaged accordingly, and so on and so forth. But this idea of Varna Ashram does not override the transcendental reality. That is the karma mark, the dharma mark. This is the, this is the prema mark, bhakti mark. 
So it overrides, it transcends um, the uh, the jurisdiction of the Varna and Ashram. Hmm. So Brahma was wondering, what class is he in, this boy? So he became classless in his, in his, in his next life. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in many wonderful things he did, um, previous to the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, some of the significant um, pastimes of Haridastak were, were um, um, performed before the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu manifest in the world. The blessing of Advaita, Advaita's house. He took shelter of Advaita, uh, who was doing Sankirtan and discussing Bhagavad Gita. And, and the, uh, the day of the, the Shraddha ceremony, where the ancestors were worshipped, and uh, Vishnu Prasad, then it was offered to Vishnu, and then not, then given to the ancestors in ritual, was to be given to the highest, first, most first-class Brahman. So all these first-class Brahmins were at the Brahman Advaita's house, wondering who's going to get the prasad, who's going to be, it's going to be me, or is it going to, you know, it's like an unspoken kind of competition. I'm better Brahman than him, you know. Advaita's going to give it to me, and of course he gave it to Haridas, who was an outcast. And the Brahmins were out enraged to hear this. And they, they thought it well, wait as an offender, and they went home, and none, they could not light their fires to do their daily yagya and everything. And they realized, oh, we've made an offense, and they went back. And so Haridas was, was more than the Brahman, was the idea, because of his uh, Vaishnavism. So he was very prone to taking the name, like chanting the name, and so forth. Um, his name chanting um, also was extensive. He chanted... He had a vow to chant, what was it, 10, 10, 10 million or something. 300,000 times 30 is what? Hmm? Is it 900,000? So, 9 million? So 10 million names. Hmm? 10 million names in, in a vow in a month. So he was chanting... Uh, 300,000 names, 16 rounds, which some of you chant is 25,000 names. So he was chanting 300,000 names in a day. And then one person who was envious of him sent a prostitute to try to distract him. It's a famous story also. He came, she came, and paid obeisance to the Tulsi, where he was chanting out of her Hindu piety. And said, "My, you're just such a handsome young man, and uh, you know, I happen to be available tonight." And and he said, "Well, you're very pretty, but I've got to finish my vrut, my vow to chant, and then certainly I will fulfill all your desires." And so his chanting took him into the wee hours of the night, and she fell asleep. And she woke up, and he said, "Well, now I've started my vow for the next day, so if you come back tomorrow night, surely." You know. So this went on for another day, and then the third day. She got converted by his chanting, by being in his presence. Her heart changed. She told, I was sent here for this diabolical purpose. She says, yeah, I know all about it. (laughs) He said, he initiated her. She shaved her head, stayed there, chanted, worshipped the Tulsi, and he went on to another place. The story of his living in a cave, and how the snake came, big cobra was living in the cave with him. 
and people were concerned for his benefit. They wanted to move out the snake, and Haridas said, no, why did that? He was here first, actually. Um, he has a right. I will move out. And then as he prepared to move out, the snake went out in front of everybody and left the cave. And so he was very extraordinary. And uh, as I say, about 35 years, he lived before the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. <clears throat> he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, even then at about the age of 50. <clears throat> and Mahaprabhu dubbed him the Nam Acharya. Acharya means teacher who, Acharya means behavior, so it, it, it implies someone who teaches by their example, which is, they say, speaks louder than precept. So his he wasn't a teacher in, uh, well, he, anyway, primarily he taught by his example of chanting. So through the uh, outcast, if you will, uh, of Brahma Haridas, Mahaprabhu manifests very much the glories of the holy name of Krishna. Again, you may offend the form of Krishna, but the name still comes to you. This is a famous idea in Gaudiya Vaishnavism about the generosity of the name. Although the name and the name aren't the same, still the name is possessed of more generosity. This is found in Rupa Goswami's Nam Astakam, his eight prayers, glorification of the name. And we find in Brahma what? He offended the form, hmm? but the name came to him. Hmm? And he took so much advantage of that. Hmm? And he pleased Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that by that so much as well. Hmm? And so, while Mahaprabhu used him in this way, hmm, um, eventually, as we know, Chaitanya Dev came to reside in Jagannath Puri. He made arrangement for Haridas to come and live there. Haridas, by the socio-religious standards of the time, was not allowed to enter the temple of Jagannath. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was the moving Jagannath, came and visited him every day and arranged to bring prasadam for him. He said, you just sit and chant, and I'll arrange for prasad for you regularly. And Mahaprabhu would go regularly and give him the personal darshan. So, um, again, he was demonstrating for those who had the eyes to see that the, uh, the social religious rules were um, something that, although he didn't challenge them directly at the time, he showed that they were um, not the be-all and end-all, and sometimes they were even wrong. Hmm. That um, Haridas should have been able to allowed to enter the temple. Hmm. They probably had a stricture not to allow people into the temple who didn't believe in the deity, who might make offense to the deity. Um, and so forth. And the Muslims were very um, well known for making offenses to the deities. This was Jagannath Puri, and it was a stronghold for Hindus due to the Raj Pratap who, who, who presided there. The Muslims who had conquered Bengal and other parts could not invade it into Jagannath Puri. So their stricture at the time for not allowing the Muslims into the temple makes a little more sense. These Muslims in their conquering like Aurangzeb, for example, in the, in the, uh, um, in the north, in the Braj side, in Vrindavan, that area, he was conquering and he would go into the temples and he would destroy the temples. He would take the deities and uh, break the deities and bury them and then build a mosque on top of them. The guy was just really a big, uh, a big demon. <laughs> um, so the, 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 there's something in Islam, at least they construe it, 
what, what it actually says, I don't know, but about the you know, not making a form or something like that of, of God. And so they really take offense to this idea. And so the stricture against Muslims entering the temple, you can understand it made a little more sense. The guy come in, make offense, throw something at the deity, who knows, they're just not allowed, period. Neither did they want to come in anyway. Now, you know, in modern times, they carry that on and you see how it gets distorted. Now in Jagannath Puri, if you're a Vaishnava, if you're not born in India, they don't let you in the temple. You see how the thing over time gets distorted. So at any rate, Mahaprabhu showed that, that Haridas was more than fit to enter the temple. The deity in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was personally coming to him every day and arranging prasad for him and so forth. Made a nice garden for him and Haridas would chant there. And so relative to the discussion about his disappearance, one day Govinda, Mahaprabhu's servant, brought the prasad from Jagannath temple to Haridas, but he was not eating. And Govinda said, why are you not eating? He says, I'm not feeling well. He says, why are you not feeling well? He says, I'm not feeling well because I cannot complete my vow to chant a certain number of names today. So actually the problem was that he was physically ill hmm, due to old age and so forth. But he didn't acknowledge that the problem was his illness, but his problem was that he couldn't chant. <laughs> hmm. He said, but you've brought prasad and I have to honor that, so what can I do? So he honored the prasad, took a little bit. and This then was then reported to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Mahaprabhu went to Haridas and said, what is the story? What's, 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 what's going on? You're sick? He said, my, my body is fine, but my mind is disturbed. And why is that? Because I cannot complete my, my japa. Hmm? And Mahaprabhu said, Prabhu, he said, Baba, you are a siddha. Your deha is siddha. Your body is perfected. There's no need for you to do sadhana. So, you chant less. And um, and Haridas said that he told him that uh, I have one ambition, and I have a request that that you will fulfill that. Mahaprabhu says, well, what, what, what is that? And this begins then a, a very endearing um, a tale of the affectionate relationship that Mahaprabhu had with his devotees. Hmm. Very much affection is shown in this lila by, on the part of Mahaprabhu for um, Haridas Thakur, fulfilling his personal desire. His personal desire was that he could understand, he said, that soon your Leela will come to an end. Hmm? And I cannot bear to be present for the end of your Leela and remain afterwards hmm? in, the, uh, in the wake of that. Hmm? My request is that, that you allow me to pass from the world before you do. Hmm? Looking into your face and chanting your name, Sri Krishna Chaitanya. This is an interesting request. Hmm? And really the implication is that Haridas Thakur knew when he was going to pass from the world. Hmm? His passing is compared to that of Bhishma. On the Battle of Kurukshetra, Bhishma knew when he was going to die. He waited the time and then Krishna came and then he spoke all this glorification of Krishna, beautiful philosophy and so forth. 
then he passed from the world. So he had that, that power. So Thakur Haridas had that power. And he knew he was going to pass. And he just wanted that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would be there. Hmm? It's not that he really wanted to cause Mahaprabhu any pain, which Mahaprabhu would feel by the passing of his devotee before he passed. <laughs> so the devotees don't want to impose that on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he knew. Hmm. Um, I will be passing from the world, and I want to do it in this way. Hmm. It's also true that he couldn't bear the, you know, that, the idea of the separation. That's another way to look at it. Mahaprabhu was generous with him and so forth. But at any rate, so then, then, then Mahaprabhu said, well, we'll see what happens. And he, he left the bathe in the sea and so forth. The next day he rounded the devotees up. He came back hmm, to Haridastaka with so many devotees. And he began Sankirtan, chanting the holy name. Then he stopped and he began to glorify Haridas before all the devotees and speak the whole Leela of Haridas and all of his virtues and pastimes. And all the devotees were amazed and so forth. Hmm. Then Haridas said, please, you sit in front of me. Mahaprabhu came and sat down in front of him. Then he took his foot and put it on his chest. Then he looked into his face and he said, Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Shri Krishna Chaitanya. Tears poured from his eyes. Mahaprabhu blessed him when he passed from the world. Mahaprabhu took him on his lap, then stood up and danced in the circle of devotees with, Chaitanya, with, his, with his body and his hands. Hmm. And arranged for him to be carried on a palanquin to the sea. Hmm. And then with his own hands, he dug in the sand a hole, a tomb, where his body was placed, decorated with sandalwood, bathed in the sea water and so forth. Then he built a platform around it, and Mahaprabhu said, whoever visits this place, whoever discusses this pastime, whoever worships the body of Haridas, it was Krishna will very soon come to him. One of the implications here, of course, is that Haridas was born in a family of what would be like bad karma, you know, meat-eating family, you know, against the deity, uh, and all. And so he was thought to be untouchable. He kept a distance from the other devotees, even although they, you know, they didn't feel like that. This was the social customs of the time. And although he was pure by the chanting of the name, some people will have thought, nonetheless, he had the parabda. Prabhda is the manifest karma, which um, is in its, its thought doesn't go away until it goes away. Hmm? It's like if you are getting about to get a, a cold, perhaps somebody else in the room has it, you might take be proactive so that you don't get the germs, right? And you can stop it. It would have you would have got a cold, but you took action to guard against it. So there may be karma that is would come to bear, but by acting in knowledge, in the fire of knowledge, then that can be dissipated before it comes to bear. But if you've already got a cold, then what are you going to do? How are you going to stop it? So parabd is like that. It's the karma that's already manifest. So how will that be stopped? And so it's thought in general that in the Gyanmarg, for example, that that has to just play itself out. So the Jivan Mukta, Gyani, is living on his parabda, hmm? waiting for it to end, then the body dies. That's what death is. And then he enters 
Brahman is the idea. But for the, in the case of the bhakta, the devotee, then liberation is a small thing. There's more to be done. He has to cultivate bhava and brahma. He may be used by Bhagwan for distributing the nam dharma and so forth. So Krishna arranges some karma for him. That's not really his. We call it shobhana karma, a beautiful kind of karma. Hmm? arranged by God to preserve him in the world for doing sadhana and so forth. And so his, he doesn't have parabdha from his previous life. And it's removed by the power of bhakti and by the nam in particular. There's a statement in Bhagavatam to this effect that, what is that verse? Yannama deha shavananu kirtanati prabdha dyasmarananda pikachit sadyopi sadya shavanaya kopate kutapanaste bhagavan dashana. That's um, he, he, who is taking the yannama deha, who is doing this nama yagya, the sacrifice of chanting the name, immediately, sadyopi, immediately becomes qualified to perform Vedic rituals like Brahma. It's thought, well, you know, you can't do that until you get the Brahman's body <laughs> in the next life. But no, immediately becomes, he's not interested in performing it he's doing something even higher, but he's, he's, he becomes qualified. It means that his, the implication is his parabda is removed. Hmm? And the, the efficacy of bhakti, particularly with regard to kirtan, is such that the parabda is immediately removed. Enough of it, that is to say, that he or she can engage in all those ritualistic activities if it should be required for any reason. Hmm? Some of it is still preserved for some time, the bad prabdha is taken away, good prabdha remains, and the good prabdha is removed as well. So the implication with Mahabhu holding the body of Haridas is that his body is pure. There's this not a bundle of prabdha here. This is a siddha, perfected sadaka deha, and it's worshipable. It should, it should be placed in a tomb. When the body has not been perfected, then it's burned. It has to go by the fire, way of the fire to the other side, the next birth, and so forth. But if the body's already purified, so it's worshipable. So, Mahaprabhu showed this example, and by that he showed, he illustrated this philosophical point, hmm? an important philosophical point, that bhakti has the power to remove parabdha. Its efficacy is is greater than than uh, than gyan, hmm? and particularly. The verses that speak about bhakti's efficacy to do so speak about nam, hmm? kirtan. So Haridas Thakur was the nam acharya. He taught all this by his example. Mahaprabhu pointed to his example and what he, he what he taught for those who weren't observant enough to see. By his own example, he said that. Hmm? And and so um, then. What Mahaprabhu went to the Jagannath temple, he begged Prashad, and Sridhar said, Let me do that, and he arranged huge Prashad to come, and there was a big festival, everybody honored, and Mahaprabhu told everybody, now chant Jai Haridas, Jai Haridas, Jai Haridas Hi Hari Jai Haridas engaged in Namsan Kirtan and so forth. This is how his disappearance then is described in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So Brahma has his appearance in Gorlila, and it's uh, significant. The, the uh, 
there everybody everybody becomes perfect <laughs> despite any previous uh, background is the point the magnanimity of bhagwan shri krishna is fully manifest his appearance as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Mahavadnaya Bhattar, Gaurhari ki jai, Thakurhari Das ki jai, Gaurpramande.